heart beating a little bit, I want to welcome every single one of you guys tonight to Matthias' lot. It's great to have you here. If you didn't notice tonight, we're starting something new. We're starting on time, okay? So that means we're starting at 7. So if you, if you came in between that time, you, you may have missed a song or two. We're going to be starting every single night right at 7 o'clock. So we would love to invite each of you there. Then, hey, check this out. Tonight we get to tackle one of the greatest issues and problems with Christians and the Christian church today, which inside that should just get you fired up. You're like, yes, conviction, and the Word is going to bring it. This is going to be great. But seriously, um, tonight, we're going to get to tackle that. And so uh, to get there, though, we have to look at what we studied last week because this week is creatively titled Last Week Part 2. Now, last week, we saw in, in one of the original mission trips, okay, Jesus sending out 70 or 72 um, people different from the disciples and he sends them out right and he gives them a message and the message is the kingdom of God is near and last week we unpacked a little bit what the kingdom of God is and that it's kind of this mysterious thing that will come but is still here and now through Christ and so when Jesus told these guys to go out and tell the villages that the kingdom of God is near, what he was saying is, I am coming, therefore the kingdom of God is near. And then we studied the scripture in Matthew, that, that the kingdom of God here and now through Christ is like a mustard seed compared to a full-grown tree. In other words, on a fallen world, what we can experience through the kingdom here and now is like a mustard seed compared to this full-grown tree. Does that get you a little bit excited about the day when you get to meet your maker and see in fullness the kingdom of God? And so that, that was their message. The kingdom of God is near. And then there was some other things along with it. He was like, hey, by the way, you're going to be sheep among wolves, which is a great thing to be told. And he said, look, at, look, at, look, if they accept you, they're not accepting you. In reality, they're accepting me. And he said, if they reject you, in reality, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And he said, if they accept you, I want you to go ahead and heal the sick there. If they reject you, I want you to kick the dust off of your feet, which is this Old Testament ritual of judgment. So there was this hard message being used in a great way, and tonight we're seeing these guys, and one of my favorite few passages here, come back. So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, verse 17. We get to see the, these 70 or 72 individuals come back. Verse 17, are you there? The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Now, verse 17 is like unpacking my wife's suitcase for a, for a two-day trip. You know, I mean, there's just a ridiculous amount here to unpack, okay? First of all, first of all, what, what is, even the demons submit to us in your name. So for someone to go out on a mission trip and they come back, and they say, hey, Jesus, I didn't know if you knew this, but it's really sweet. The demons submit to your name. I mean, this is amazing. It tells us this, that Jesus is the equipper, that he's willing to take people who don't wrap their minds around all of the truths and all of the realities, and he's willing, by his power, to send them out. What does it tell you? It tells us that the, these guys went out, either not believing or not knowing that demons would submit to the name of Jesus. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, why would he, Jesus even do that? You know why he would do it? To bring more focus upon himself. 
he would take a bunch of ragtag guys who don't even understand the fact that demons would submit to his name and he sends them out and he opens their eyes to this greater reality, my friends. So isn't this kind of funny? Like these guys are coming back to the Savior of the universe. Hey, Jesus, not sure if you're aware of this. Pretty sweet thing happened out on the field of harvest, all right? These demons submitting to your name. I mean, this is like the greatest day ever. Did you know that, Jesus? Can you picture this moment? But, but even greater than that, these guys come back with this, this great sense of joy. Now, check this out. Maybe you can relate. Uh, Jason and I, one of the first times that we ever worked together, uh, our youth ministries did a lot of stuff together. And in uh, ni- uh, 2004, we, we created this trip called Bunkin' in Baghdad. How many of you guys were actually on that trip? Some of you guys in this room? Okay, sweet, about seven of us. You guys can all relate to the story. And so God called us to go to Louisville, Kentucky, our two youth ministries together. It just so happened to be the beginning of the Iraqi war that year. So creatively, we titled, entitled it Bunkin' in Baghdad because we were going to be staying at a camp in Baghdad, Kentucky. It chaps some parents off, I'm not going to lie to you. Like they get the flyer and they're like, my son's going to Baghdad? Like what, like, what are you doing? You know, and I know Jason received probably 10 or 15 phone calls, and I got called into the elders. It was great, you know. But, but once we explained that we were going to Baghdad, Kentucky, then it was all good. So we go, we go, and, and, and it was just amazing. 160 of us in 27 vehicles, listen to this, lined up A through AA on the interstate. 27 vehicles with a big, like, what's the big, like, uh, window marker stuff, you know what I mean, that, you all, that girls ride over each other's gr- windows at homecoming. A through AA lined up on the interstate, and we never got out of order. Can you picture that? I mean, it was, it was beautiful. Listen to this. We went into this African-American church in downtown Louisville, and we stripped off this roof of a church and rebuilt it in three days. Right? I mean, it was, it was a miraculous, I mean, it was crazy. We lit, Dan Raymer was like 15 at the time, and I remember watching him, and he's standing, and he's straddling the truss on the top of this roof with like no cables. I mean, if parents would have been around, or I mean, we would have gotten in big trouble. If OSHA, what's the group that does building things? OSHA, yes! Are you serious? Sweet. So if OSHA would have been there, yeah? If OSHA would have been there, like, they would, have, they would have shut the thing down. The ambulance only showed up, what, two or three times? No big deal. A couple nails in the feet and stuff. But, but li- listen to this. Anytime you've ever been on a mission trip, like, I remember Jason and I, when we got back from that mission trip, if you would have talked to us for, like, three months, we would have been talking about that trip. Because it just, it produces this, some of you guys went to Laos, right? Or other, others of you guys have been used in your own context at work. And it just produces this, this great amount of joy. Why? Because last week, check this out, last week when we, studied, when we studied discipleship, we said that Jesus is pulling these guys into himself. And these guys, as part of discipleship, listen to this, have spent a lot of time watching Jesus. You guys remember this from last week. They've, they've been sitting and they've just been studying. They've been watching every move of Jesus. But not just watching, they've been listening. Every word that would come out of Jesus' mouth, they would be listening to it so that they could emulate it because the call of a disciple is to be like the master, Right? And so as Jesus would talk, like, they're all like taking mental notes of, okay, that's how you say that, and that's how you do that. And not just that, they would be sent out to experience. So the mission field, friends, brings a great amount of joy. Why? Because all of the things that you are watching, you're now experiencing. Come on. All the things that you are hearing, you're now speaking. All the things that you are studying in the Scripture all of a sudden has some meat and bones on it. All of the lives that you see transformed in this book, all of a sudden you're face to face with the power of God. 
And not just that, but all of the experiences that you thought possible, all of a sudden you're exposed to them. So do you understand then how the mission field, it can produce a great and insane amount of joy? And it does. Joy is a funny thing, wouldn't you say? When I was in youth group, uh, check this out. I was always the kid, love this. Uh, this, was, this is a classic youth group question, right? And I'm sure you've been asked this. So what, is there a difference between happiness and joy? You know, that was, It seemed like every week this was one of the youth group questions. And I loved this argument. I would always, yeah, 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 hey, call on me right here, Seabass. You know what I mean? I would bring all, and, and I, would, I would talk about the fact that, that joy can only be, in, and, and I didn't know the scripture, but all I knew was, like I thought this was true, that happiness, anyone can, anyone can experience happiness. Any single person, born, lived on this earth, can experience some type of happiness. But what I would say when I was growing up in youth group is that only Christians can experience joy because it's this deep, like, spiritual thing that, that is connected. And, and friends, what I've come to realize is that is very true. Anyone on this earth can experience semblances of happiness, momentary glimpses of something that brings them happiness, a raise at work, a friend that blesses them, a child that's born. But friends, what we see in Scripture is this image in the Psalms, in the early parts of Psalms, Psalm chapter 4, that God is the one who gives joy. Check this out. In Galatians chapter 5, one of the fruits of the Spirit is what? Joy. So if one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy, then can you see that the Spirit is given, friends, to those people who believe and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is given post-resurrection to people, friends, who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then can we all agree for a moment tonight that joy is from Christ? And I would say this even more, that joy is Christ. So Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says this, that there is no condemnation in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because He has separated, listen to this, He separated the Spirit and life from death and the law. So here's my question going into tonight. If there is no condemnation in the Lord Jesus Christ, if there is zero condemnation in Christ Jesus, and if joy comes from Christ, then why does it appear like the Christian church and Christians everywhere are struggling being joyful? Why does it look like, friends, that we are, we're a part of some dead and dying movement when one of the gifts of the Spirit is joy and one of the beliefs of the Scriptures is that through Christ there is no condemnation, that you are freed by the work of the cross. So how can we ever gather in times like this and be burdened and bogged down, friends? It's because we're forgetting about some things that we're going to see in this text tonight. And friends, it's, it's vitally important that if you're here tonight and you've ever felt condemned post-Jesus, which all of you should probably raise your hand, we must recognize first and foremost that pre-being a Christian one of the greatest strategies of the enemy is, oh, just do whatever you want. It'll be great. Don't worry about it. It's all erased. And then post-Jesus, how does the message change? Post-Jesus is you're guilty. You're nasty. You deserve everything that comes to you. Have you ever heard this in your head before? Every sin that builds up, you deserve this. You deserve death. All of these things. Never connecting it with the power of the cross and of Christ. 
but just beating you down with condemnation. Friends, are there any of you here tonight that are just, that's where you're at? The reality is you're, you're, you're constantly depressed. You're on the hamster wheel of repetitive sin. And there's no, there's no joy in your life because you're, just, you're under constant condemnation. And what I'm proposing to you tonight, friends, is what the scripture says, is there is no condemnation in the Lord Jesus Christ. So they come back and they have this joy, right? And they have this joy and they can't wait just to let it permeate. And friends, this, this is a phenomenal image here in verse 18. Can we see this? So Jesus replies. He, like he could say many things at this point, right? His boys come back. He could say things like, yeah, that's a good one. I never knew that before. You know, I mean, he can like kind of make a joke about this. But friends, listen to what he says. Mm, like this is, if you're a guy in here, like this moment right now is for you, man. This passage, just make your heart beat a little bit here. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, if, if you don't get it, you're like, you're a guy and you're like, okay, that's cool, but I don't really get it, the whole guy cool part, like what's happening here. Have you ever been, have you ever been in a locker room at halftime before? Okay, how many of you guys played sports? You don't have to raise your hand, but... Okay, so you're going in, you're going in at halftime, right? And, and this happened many occasions. Something just bad happened. Okay, we're back. And uh, that was a flash of blue. That was a flash of lightning. Thank you for the visual effects. Wonderful, right? You, you go in at halftime, and your coach is trying to give this, like, motivating speech, you know? And he's talking about how the other team's going to go down and how they're going to fall and how this is going to be destruction. And then you, there's something that, right? Listen to this. My junior high school, this is a side story. My junior high school, we had this crazy coach, okay? And we were, we were playing our, our conference rival. And at halftime, he comes in and he just starts yelling and, like, kicking trash cans over. And he's, like, throwing rock, like, lockers around. The guy ended up getting fired, uh, partly because of this another interesting story, but, but he was just going crazy, and all of us, like, there was this great amount of passion all of a sudden, we're like, yeah, let's do this, you know, and we went out, and we just kicked their booty, I mean, there's there something about, listen to this, there's something about the general standing in front of his troops and saying, while you were gone, I saw the enemy fall like lightning from heaven, Lightning is what? Urgent. It happens quickly. Have you ever seen lightning? Right? It comes down from the sky, like out of nowhere. It's urgent. It happens quickly. Jesus is saying, hey, by the way, while you were out on the mission field, I saw the enemy fall. Can you picture this? Can you picture what would be going in your mind as a missionary coming back? Could you imagine the eyes of Jesus at that point? The eye of the tiger, right? Could you imagine those eyes just blazing, saying, you know what? There will be a day just like I'm about to tell you, when you will trample on the heads of snakes and of scorpions, there will be a day when I will win complete victory. And what he's saying is, is I've seen a glimpse of that today. And friends, that is just beautiful. Verse 19 says this, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all of the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. And a few weeks ago, we talked about the authority pecking order in our world and, and that it's God and Satan and man. Satan even before man because he has dominion on this earth, which is a little bit scary. But the promise here and the promise of the scriptures is that with Christ, we move in between God and Satan and have authority over the enemy, which is a great promise for us here and now. Amen? Especially when you're hearing 
constantly in your head, you deserve to die. You're condemned. Whatever Christ did, it's not good enough for you because you're too bad. You've done too much stuff in your life. Have you ever heard that before? Friends, the promise of the Scripture is that you have authority over that, that little voice that you will hear from time and time again. Verse 20 says this. However, this gets interesting. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So he's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this is great. This is great. But there's something, there's something more that I want you to rejoice in. It's like this. Um, my, my daughter Avery, she's a year and two months old. She loves apples. Any, any other apple lovers here? Any other? Okay. None of you. Great. Okay. Awesome. You won't relate, but just imagine it's a watermelon or something, okay? You can give my, my little girl Avery an apple. And you can literally walk away for half an hour and you come back and this like little gnawing, like 14-month girl, it's just gnawing at this thing and it, it gets down to the core. I mean, she would literally smoke an entire apple in a half an hour just going at it. I don't understand that. I mean, she just goes at this thing and she loves apples, right? But if you, if you or me or any time that we're, we, we're like a fruit, like some of you guys like watermelon. I, I used to live on a farm and so we'd take a watermelon and break it out and just to feel all farmly and fieldy and those type of things, you know, and we would eat this watermelon, never in my mind did I ever say, I'm so thankful for the apple tree, you know what I mean? Never in my mind was I thinking, I'm so, God, thank you for the watermelon plant that has produced this luscious, red, juicy thing of love. I've never communicated things like that, you know? Oh, God, thank you for the pineapple bush or, you know, tree, you know what I mean? Like, thank you. Thank you for all these things. Like, I, we've never communicated that. Why? Because, because we think in terms of the fruit is greater than what, is, like what produces it. And, and what Jesus is saying here is do not rejoice in the fruit, but rejoice in the tree. Do not rejoice in the fact that you're eating an apple. Rejoice in the fact that you know who made it. Rejoice in the fact that you know who built the tree. And, and I don't think he's diminishing the joy that we will have on the mission field. I just think he's bringing focus to there's an elevated joy that you will feel in simply knowing me. Just be joyful that you know me. See, we, we get so caught up in, in obey and obey and fruit. We obey and it produces fruit and we like that because it's easy to see, it's easy to eat. Obey fruit, obey fruit. God, I'm reading your scriptures, now I'm obeying and now I'm I'm gaining some more fruit from that. But friends, what Jesus is saying here is be thankful that your name is written in the book of life. Which, let's let's hang there for a second. Have you ever heard this terminology, the book of life? Back in the 90s, especially in the great evangelical evangelism, that's a double positive or something, in in that movement, there was a lot of talk about your name being written in the book of life. Did you hear this? I used to preach this a lot. Is your name written in the book of life? You, You would hear that. Hey, is your name written in the book of life? Well, can we just have a little bit of discussion? Like, what does that mean? What does it mean to have your name written in some book of life that you can't go buy at a library? You know what I mean? It's like, okay, yeah, like, that'd be great. Like, can I just pick that up on Amazon? Like, how much is that book of life? You know, because I want to check that out and see if my name's written in there. That's not how it works. But we know this in Revelation chapter 20, that names that are not written in the book of life, Scripture says they're going to end up in, in the burning pit. So there's something to the book of life. It's not just some, like, ambiguous book that exists but that we really shouldn't be concerned about. Friends, the book of life is a list of names alluded to at least over five times in the Old Testament. It's a book of names that God has saved and redeemed 
and will be opened in the last days. Friends, it's a book that has listed there every single individual that knows who Christ is and believes in Him. And so, friends, when Jesus says, don't rejoice of all of the things that are happening on the mission field, but rejoice that your name is written in the book of life, what He's saying is rejoice in Me. So some of you are here and you're like, yeah, 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 like, that's, that's great, book of life. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm in it, right? That's some of you right now. You're like, I, I wouldn't know if my name is in the book of life. Like, I hear what you're saying about the whole Revelation 20 scripture. I don't not want to be in the book of life, but I'm not sure if I'm in the book of life. Friends, those that are in the book of life have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They believe that Jesus is real. They believe that Christ, what he did on the cross, was completely sufficient to wipe out every sin and wrongdoing that you have and that you've acquired. Scripture says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if you've heard this a million times, maybe you need to hear it again tonight. So friends, those people who are written in the book of life believe that Jesus is real. Believe that his death and resurrection is redeeming. And they believe it so much, friends, that it causes a, 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 causes a complete life change. Not because of something that you can do, but all of a sudden you have with inside of you a peace of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit that is guiding your life to live a different way. Uh, James chapter 2 says it this way, faith without works is dead. In other words, for those people that are written in the book of life, they believe that Christ is real, they're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, and that faith and belief, Christ has redeemed their life and changed them, and their fruit, friends, is completely evident. Listen to this. Does it imply perfection? No. A true Christian is quick to repent. A real believer in Christ. And by the way, it's not for man to judge. So I'm not going to sit up here right now. I'm like, all right, so I happen to have a photocopy of the book of life. Let's go through this one by one. Here we go. All right. Jenna Pitts, yep, she's good to go. You know, I'm not gonna, we're not going to do that. It's not for man to judge. It's for Christ to judge. As a great mediator, and we'll study that here in a second. But friends, we have to understand the picture that those who are written in the book of life have relationship with Christ, are guided by Christ, and their life looks completely different. And so if you're here and you're like, yeah, yeah, like I want to be written in the book of life. Well, friends, then I say, where is your heart and belief at tonight? Is there a desire deep down in you to begin to believe in this Christ that, that maybe you've heard about? Or, or maybe you're just like, man, I just want to start a journey to learn more about Jesus so that I can believe in him. And friends, and, and those who are coming to Matthias a lot, like, wouldn't you agree, like, that's what church is about? It's so that in all of our different places and journeys that we could journey together. And so if any of you are confused about if your name's written in the book of life, it's relationship with Jesus, my friends. And he on that day stands as a mediator between you and the Father. Let's keep going. Back to Luke. Verse 21. Now this gets interesting. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. 
Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. Interesting passage, wouldn't you agree? Listen to this. It's the only time in the Gospels, only time, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that we see Jesus greatly joyed over anything. His joy goes, goes out from him once in John chapter 15, once in John chapter 16. But this is the only time, friends, look, listen, this is the only time that we see Jesus greatly joyed. So what it does is it like puts binoculars on this verse and, and allows us to examine, okay, so what's happening here? Like why is Jesus filled with joy? And what does he say? Father, I'm filled with joy because you have hidden some things from the wise and learned and you've revealed it to little children. You're like, okay, this is a little bit puzzling. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians, would you, please? 1 Corinthians, just back a few chapters. I don't hear a lot of page flipping. 1 Corinthians. Need to hear more pages flipping. Verse 18. I think this verse will help us unpack this verse a little bit and bring some clarity. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. It says this. You guys there yet? You're frantically flipping now. Appreciate it. A little, a little slow in the game tonight. That's okay. Here we go. Verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Verse 20. Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Let me try to put this into you and I's terms. What Jesus is saying here is, God, I'm thankful by your power, that's, that a man cannot just open some philosophy book and all of a sudden just eventually, like, God, I'm thankful that the wisdom of this world will consider the cross foolishness. God, I'm thankful that, that your power will be the focus. Why? Because you can take little children and bring them to yourself and reveal yourself to him. That the wisdom of this world can try to tap in but what Jesus is saying here is, I'm so joyful, Father, because you're sovereign. I'm so joyful, Father, because the wisdom of this world will consider the cross foolishness. What he's saying here is, God, I'm thankful that this is about you. Let's go on. Verse 22 says this. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Himself to. So there's, there's an idea here of the Sonship of Christ. He's saying no one knows the Father except the Son. No one knows the Son except the Father. Let me explain this. He's saying that, that only the Son, only the person of Christ, can understand the Father's motive, can understand the Father's will. Isn't it beautiful, friends, that we see the entire Trinity here? Jesus full of what? The Holy Spirit. Jesus now talking about the Father, and we have Jesus in the flesh. This trinity, this three in one, is all right here. Jesus saying the Father knows the Son's motives, and the Son knows the father, Father's motives. That's our relationship. So that I, as Christ, may be the mediator, my friends. Turn to 1 Timothy with me. Turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. I need quicker flipping this time.
verse 4, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. You guys all there? Actually, let's start in verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. What Jesus is saying here is, I am the active agent in salvation. That I am the mediator between men, sinful men, and the Father. The Father knows my desires and my purposes. He designed them, and I know the Father's wills and the Father's purposes. But I, as Christ, have bore the ransom, and I am the mediator. I am the active agent in salvation. That's why Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Friends, if you want your name, desire your name in the book of life, it's through Christ that anything happens. Are you with me there? Are we on the same page here? So when Jesus says, Father, I am filled with joy because of your sovereign plan. What he's saying is, is that is greater even than salvation itself. What he's saying is, is that God is greater than salvation. <laughs> and then he says, and even greater, or, and then even less than that, is the joy that we receive from the mission field, my friends. Back to Luke, check this out. Verse 23 says, Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that, that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And what he's saying is, you have me, Christ, flesh and blood, right in front of you. There is reason to be joy, because all of these people have been waiting on the Messiah, and here is the Messiah, right here, right now. You get to touch and hear and experience. You get to see all of that. Be joyful in that, my friends. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 says what? Anyone know? Right off the top of your head? Be joyful. What's the word? Always. Anyone, any of you guys struggle with that by raise of hand? Be joyful always? Okay. A few of you honest. The rest of your line, great. Good start tonight. Just kidding. Kind of. Jesus says and brings focus to finding joy in the sovereignty of God. If we really desire to be joyful always, and if we really desire to believe that Romans 8 is true, that there's no condemnation, therefore, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So if there's no condemnation, if we're called to be joyful always, then what does this passage tell us about joy? First of all, it tells us that joy must find its roots in the sovereignty of God. All these messages that we've been teaching about finding joy in the storm, about James chapter 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, about finding joy somehow when you're sick, about finding joy somehow when you're in the hospital, any of that is only possible if you're able to see beauty in the sovereignty of God. If you're able to sit back and say, God, I'm thankful that you have a plan and it is beautiful. And whether it's taking my life now for your glory or leaving me on this earth for another 30 years for your glory, either way, it's beautiful because it's you. Do you see that? To be joyful always 
To live without condemnation is to first, like Jesus does, find a great sense and source of joy in the sovereignty, friends, of God. In this great, beautiful picture of who God is. It's easy to find joy in the fruit. It's easy to say, oh yeah, 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 like we just went on this great mission trip, it's awesome. It's easy to find joy in, in all of a sudden having $10,000 dropped in your lap. It's easy to find things in these things we can hold. It's way more difficult to find joy, friends, when one of your parents is laying on their deathbed and you're having to say goodbye, which I thankfully haven't had to deal with yet. It's harder to find joy in that moment. But what Jesus is saying is, God, I'm thankful that you're sovereign, and that's where I find a tremendous amount of joy. If Jesus found joy in the sovereignty of God, what do you believe that means for you and I? Important, maybe? Secondly, he says, look, find joy in your salvation. No matter what is going down in your day, you, some of you in here, there's others of you who don't have a relationship with Christ yet, But there's some of you in here who have been blessed with having a relationship with Christ. If you're having the worst day of your life, has He saved you or has He not saved you? Has He had grace on your life or has He not had grace on your life? If you're struggling with sovereignty, then we move down a little bit to salvation, which those two things work hand in hand. We understand sovereignty better when we understand salvation better. We understand salvation better when we understand sovereignty better, my friends. If you're having the absolute worst day of your life, you are saved by grace through faith. So why is the church sitting around like a bunch of dead doornails, like we have nothing to celebrate? Why are we sitting around like, yeah, yeah, this Jesus stuff is all well and good and stuff, but it's better for us just to sit and to meditate and to focus. Are you kidding me? He has saved us from death. Through Him, we have no condemnation does that just does that bring a little bit of joy to anyone else right and so and so the word here the picture that jesus giving is hey boys it's good to celebrate in the fruit but look it's way better to celebrate in the one who made the fruit and the one who saved you and the one who's had grace on your life so you know what the church needs to wake up you me need to wake up and start just Start just powering on the the depths of our horrible days and begin to focus a whole lot more on Jesus. Because when we're focusing on Christ, it's hard not to think about grace and salvation, isn't it? Every day when I wake up and my thoughts are drawn to Christ, one of my first instant thoughts are, He saved me from death, and because of that, it's worth getting out of bed today. The days that I don't focus on that, it's condemnation, it's lies, it's struggle. Are you getting this, church? Then what happens? We sit under the sovereign plan of God. He, by His power, saves us. And then, listen to this, don't miss this. Then He sends us. He, a God who doesn't need a single one of you to get His plan done. Do you believe that? Some of you maybe have struggled with that at times. No, 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 God. I have so much to offer you. That's what we got to deal here, you know. I have a goatee, God. Look at this. You can use this. It's like we're bargaining at times with God. He needs none of us. Listen to this. This is one of the best. A sovereign God who saved you is willing to take 
you, just like he took the 70 and the 72, not really understanding and grasping all of it, sending us out, equipping us as we go, and using us for his own glory. Is that not beautiful? That's why we're not called just to sit in our rooms and, and pray all the time and just sit in our room. No, no, we're called to go out and to follow the will of God. And that's loving people and loving Him and spreading the news of Him everywhere. That's how He uses us. And so what happens is, is as your depth of joy sinks into the sovereignty of God, and as your depth of joy sinks into your salvation, and as you experience more and more of His presence on the mission field, all of a sudden, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 starts to make a whole lot of sense, amen? Be joyful always. Like, I, I never thought that possible. But all of a sudden, it's starting to look pretty real. Why? Because it's different than happiness. Why? Because every day, no matter what is going on in my day, He has saved me and God is sovereign and He's calling me out. He's using me, part of His purposes. Are you kidding me? That's the reality. So friends, church... Some of you tonight need to relinquish your depression. Some of you tonight need to relinquish your condemnation. Some of you tonight need to get off the hamster wheel of sin. Some of you tonight need to rest and find joy in the sovereignty of God. Some of you tonight need to rest and find joy in the salvation that He's given you. Some of you tonight need to rest and find joy in the fact that He's called you to go. And He wants to use you for His glory. You were given a piece of paper tonight when you walked in. Who doesn't have one of these? Who doesn't have one of these? Raise your hand. Can I get a couple guys to help me pass these out? Dan, Raymond, do you have some of these too? Pass these out to everyone. You guys have some? Pass those back. Pass those back. Everyone have one. It's been on my heart for a long time that to truly better grasp the sovereignty of God and our salvation and and the call in our life that we need to feast on the Word. Do you guys all have one? Do we have a couple more? I'm fearful that... Um, I'm fearful that many of you aren't doing any scripture reading. I'm fearful that many of you aren't doing any scripture memorization. And so I've given you this card because this passage from 1 Peter sums up all of this teaching tonight. And I've given you this card as a challenge to in one week memorize what you have on this card. If we're to engulf ourselves with the word and be overcome by the word but we're not feasting on it, if it's not constantly coming out of our mouth, then how are the understandings of the joy of God going to rest in our life? We're going to get so quickly caught up in the world. So friends, I want you to look at this card. And we're going to spend some time, and I'm going to read this for us. And then I'm going to pray for us, and we're just going to take some time to reflect tonight. On the joy of Christ. What an opportunity we have, friends, tonight to shake off the condemnation and to all of a sudden rise up and be people who look like they're saved. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, 
He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance, friends, listen to this, that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to have uh, suffered grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Verse 8. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled. Listen to this. Filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. God, I thank You. I thank You that You have saved so many of us in this room. And I'm thankful, God, for the, for the individuals in this room who are possibly struggling with the faith in You and maybe even how You're using Your Word tonight to draw them to Yourself. God, we pray that You will wipe the condemnation away. That You will wake the church up. And that we will be a people that through joy rest in Your sovereignty celebrate our salvation and realize that we're called and sent to glorify You.